Okay, well, every blessing to you all and a very happy new year to you. You must be thinking James is insane <laughs> to head off to the open air pulpit when it's around one degree Celsius. Well, I've been doing this for 10 years now and I'm always glad to uh, have made the effort to get up to the open air pulpit on the 1st of January every year. In fact, I think this will be year number 10 uh, for doing New Year Day videos. So every blessing to you all. And like I always say, all of your failures from uh, the previous year, being 2016, may I suggest you leave in uh, 2016 and look forward to 2017. I'm gonna battle my way through uh, today's message. I've got a bit of a wind chill, which has, uh, surprise, surprise, <laughs> come out of nowhere. But uh, I think for those of you which follow our ministry somewhat carefully, you know that I am currently working my way through the book of Revelation. And I'm up to around, I think, week 23 or week 24. And uh, I just finished chapter 13 from the book of Revelation. A fascinating chapter. In fact, Revelation is a fascinating book, very much a neglected book. And when you read it, you can see why. So what I thought I'd do for today, if I may, is just give you a bit of an overview as to what I've been able to discover over the past 23 weeks or thereabouts, and hopefully encourage those of you which are saved to read along with me. And what I'll do is I'll put a link in the description box if you're watching this on YouTube, to uh, listen to my uh, look at Revelation over the last 20 so weeks. Like I said, I've just, come, I've just completed uh, chapter 13, and uh, chapter 14 is now uh, awaiting me, along with chapters 15, 16, right up to chapter 22. Also, don't forget, if you do click on the description, or if you go into the description box, and uh, click on the link to our other YouTube channel, Ex-Catholics of Christ, to tick the bell, like I mentioned on our main channel, Ex-Catholics. If you want to keep up to date with all of our uploads, you need to uh, tick the bell or select the bell on the home page from our YouTube channels. YouTube keeps changing, and therefore, to allow those of you which want to keep up with our uh, videos, you need to tick the bell. Revelation chapter 1, let's look at verse 3, please. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Everything in Revelation is pointing to future events, and yet, unfortunately, many people are not only... Uh, neglecting Revelation, but they are playing it down. They don't want to believe that the worst is yet to come. And I'm going to call this new New Year's Day video, The Worst Is Yet To Come, because the worst is yet to come. Now, for those of us which are saved, the best is yet to come. But for those that are not saved, the worst is yet to come. Blessed is he that readeth. Happy are you if you read. Blessed are you if you readeth, or read, and they that hear the word of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, 
for the time is at hand. Now, of course, we know that Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost live outside of time. We understand that. And yet, at the same time, Almighty God decided to enter into time. And, of course, that is the Incarnation. For those of us living today, we are very much tied by time. I'm very much on a time limit today. I've got the uh, wind chill to <laughs> battle against, plus I've got other things that I need to take time to deal with, so I am pressed for time. And yet, for those that die, for those that die unsaved, they got all the time in the world. This past Christmas, we saw the death of many celebrities, like Carrie Fisher, like George Michael, like the guitarist from Status Quo, a well-known British rock band, and some other VIPs that passed away, and they died unsaved, and they probably did. They've got all of eternity ahead of them. And when I think about eternity for an unsaved man or woman, I just shudder. I can't think of anything to uh, say to uh, take the pain away. It's just awful. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And yet the whole subject of hell is played down, is completely ridiculed. Not far from where I live, we have a Seventh-day Adventist church. And it's a big old place. And it's stationed in a very busy part of town, like four sets of traffic lights. And I would estimate that probably at the end of each week, maybe 20,000 cars have driven past this Seventh-day Adventist church. And outside this big old place called a church, there's this huge sign which says, Repent! The Lord is coming. Get right with Christ. There's only one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. Turn or burn. No, that's not what it says. There are no signs anywhere to be seen. You've got to park your car, cross the road, and walk straight up to the entrance of this Seventh-day Adventist setup to see what is on their sign, on their plaque. And all it tells you are the times when they meet to worship the Lord, so-called. And I thought to myself, if I own that church, or if I was a part of that place of worship, I would buy my own sign, and I would have that sign up where everyone could see it. Even John 3.16 would be more than enough. And that got me thinking that, do these people even believe in the Word of God? I mean, do they really believe the Word of God? You are told that man shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Do people really believe the Bible? I mean, truly believe every word in Scripture. And I thought to myself, this church has missed a great opportunity, a great opportunity to plant seeds. And it's not just them. Where I live, there are some other churches like Catholic, uh, Protestant, Charismatic, and they too have got no signs, no scriptures anywhere to be seen. Or they... Uh, have on offer other times that they meet to worship the Lord. What a great disservice. What a great disservice. What a missed opportunity. These churches are nothing more than private country clubs. They are meeting for their own sakes. They are meeting 
to do their own thing. And that's why when I got saved 15 years ago this year, praise the Lord, I knew that I would never go back into organized religion. In fact, when I first got saved, I went to a couple of churches, as you do, somewhat naive, <laughs> somewhat green, and I realized within the first few moments of entering such churches that the spirit that was on evidence, or that was evident, that was present in that uh, particular church, and there were a few others, was the same kind of spirit that I'd been around all my life, growing up in a Catholic church, dry, dead. And I thought to myself, you people have done nothing for the Lord. And that's why it grieves me when a person gets saved and uh, folks come along and say, well, find yourself a good church. Find yourself a good church. And you think, but why? Where were those churches before I got saved? And sometimes people do get saved and praise the Lord. And they go and join a local church, which was nowhere to be found before they were saved. And they go along to that church and they sign up to the tenets of faith. And they sign on the dotted line and start tithing. And yet, where was that church before that poor soul was saved? Nowhere, of course. Revelation 1, 3, and I'll move on. Blessed is he or she that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. This is the only book in the Bible which guarantees a blessing to the man or the woman that takes the time to hear, read, and take to heart its message. So why would you pass it up? Why would you neglect the book of Revelation? Well, of course, if you are carnal, if you are out of fellowship with the Lord, if you are an unsaved person, this book is a nightmare for you. It tells you that all of your uh, gods, all of your idols, your best works are all nothing in the eyes of the Lord and will one day be burnt up. So I can appreciate why people neglect the book of Revelation, why they spiritualize the book of Revelation. And once you spiritualize the book of Revelation, you miss out on a great blessing. But praise the Lord, when I first got saved, like I say, 15 years ago this year, can you believe where the year's gone? I was very fortunate to get Revelation down. I got Revelation down before I got justification down. And I sometimes wish that I could have met some down-to-earth Bible-believing preachers when I first got saved. I didn't have a bad start, don't get me wrong. My start wasn't that bad, but it could have been better. I could have been uh, uh, perhaps more fortunate to have discovered some well-grounded preachers. And when I think of those that I used to listen to, for the most part, they're not too bad. Some are still alive, some are with the Lord now. And yet, isn't hindsight a great thing? But you start where you start, and you do the best you can when you first become a Christian. But I guess what it comes down to is this, that as far as your salvation is concerned, it's simply between you and the Lord. When you are born, a physician brings you into the world. When you leave this world, the physician takes you to the next world. You are totally dependent on the physician to bring you into the world and you are totally dependent on the great physician to take you to the next world. When you pass your driving test or when you learn to swim or when you learn to 
ride a bike. You don't need to be taught again and again and again. Once you learn to drive, once you learn to swim, once you learn to ride a bike, that's it. You are qualified. You are good to go. So once you are saved, you don't need anyone else to hold your hand. You don't need some third party to come along and hold your hand. And yet Catholics are terrified to let go of their priest's hand. If you go for a job interview, you don't send somebody on your behalf to attend the job interview. If you meet someone and you want to marry that person, you don't ask someone to propose for you. If you need to go to the dentist to have your teeth checked out, you don't send someone on your behalf. So why do you want someone to get in between you and the Lord? The Word of God says how there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. One mediator. Now I grant you this, you might need someone to come along down the line and help you with some difficult passages, fair enough. You might need someone to uh, pray with you or pray for you, okay, fair enough. You may want someone to just be there with you to help you through the bad times, okay, fine, I'm not against that. But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to having your sins forgiven, it's between you and the Lord. It's a personal covenant. It's a personal agreement. It's a personal deal, if you will, between the sinner and the saviour. And if Catholics could get that down, if Protestants could get that down, if people could get that down, what a different world it would be. And yet people seem to struggle to do anything without a third party. But you know the saying, two's company, three's a crowd. And that's very much the case when it comes to our salvation. So if you read this book, and I hope you do, and if you believe this book, and I hope you do, you will get a great blessing. But if you neglect this book, you will miss out on a tremendous blessing. Go to chapter 13, please. Look at verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now, I spent, I think, maybe nearly two hours over the past three Sundays looking at Revelation chapter 13. And I think I am happy to say that I've covered all of the points. And when I read the Word of God, when I uh, record the Word of God, I don't have any notes really. I have mental notes. And occasionally I will put uh, pen to paper, pen to paper, and uh, put my thoughts down. But by and large, what you get, if you listen to my studies, is pretty much what comes into my mind. I don't want to over-prepare, because if I over-prepare, it becomes somewhat stilted, somewhat dry. I want to let it flow naturally, like I am this morning. So I think, Lord willing, that my uh, look at chapter 13 is sufficient. And yet, the more I read the scripture, the more I think, add this next week, James, or add that next week, or mention this, or mention that. So when I read about the beast coming up out of the sea, having seven heads, uh, ten horns, uh, seven crowns, and so forth, I think to myself of the Bermuda Triangle. I think to myself of that strange part of the world where planes go missing, where ships go missing. Of course, we've got the... Uh, river Euphrates, which is in modern-day Iraq. Um, we read about uh, the 
kings of the east marching via Euphrates to Jerusalem. So it could be that we've got at least two or three points around the world which are perhaps entrances or exits for unclean spirits to come up from beneath and invade the world. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, John speaking, and saw a beast, a living creature, rise up out of the sea. Do you remember that old cartoon, Godzilla, from the, I guess it was made in the 1950s or 60s, very much popular in the UK, around the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, and that sea monster would come out of the sea, old Godzilla, and Godzilla was a good uh, creature, and when those people got into trouble, they would call on Godzilla, and uh, he would deal with the problems that they were up against. And yet even a cartoon, penned by unsaved cartoonists, were able to see that the sea had some affiliation with a supernatural beast. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, Antichrist, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now, when I read Revelation, I think of many things. I think of the papacy being very much a type of the Antichrist. And I think of all false religions being types of the Antichrist. And yet, in term C, I think of Leviathan. I think of the Bermuda Triangle. I think of that account from Jack Cousteau many years ago when he was swimming around the Bermuda Triangle. And he was a pro, maybe one of the best from his generation. And he heard what sounded like screaming from the depths of the sea. And he shot up to the surface and got onto his ship and had to have a drink to calm his nerves. Now he heard something. I don't know what he heard, but he heard something. He was an unsaved man. He was a Catholic by birth. So something shook him up. I remember putting that account on camera some years ago. And someone sent me an email saying, oh, by the way, James, uh, that account has been refuted by Snoops. <laughs> and I thought, who are Snoops? What are Snoops? And of course, I know what Snoops are all about. They are a secular website set up to uh, refute accounts such as that. And I thought, well, of course they're going to refute it. They're unsaved. They're not going to go on record and say, yes, that is a true account concerning a guy that heard screaming. Of course they're going to refute it. Well, some years after that, a retired US, divey, uh, US diver excuse me, was swimming around uh, Guantanamo Bay, Bermuda Triangle, that's, uh, that part of the world. And he too heard screaming from under the, uh, under the sea, as he was swimming in the sea, and that shook him up. You've got Cousteau, you've got a retired US Navy diver, but you've also got the Word of God. You've got John standing upon the sand of the sea, could be Rome, could be the Mediterranean, if I get this clear in my mind when I cross-reference this to chapter 17, and yet could also be in reference to the Bermuda Triangle. He's standing on the sand of the sea, and he sees a beast come up out of the sea, being the Antichrist. So there's no doubt about it when I think about these events like Christo and this US Navy diver 
the word of God, missing planes, missing ships, so-called aliens, UFOs that appear from nowhere. And people assume they come from outer space, and maybe they do, but maybe they come from under the sea. Maybe they come from under the earth. And of course, UFOs are demons, devils, unclean spirits. But this beast has the name of blasphemy. Now, if you are a Roman Catholic, you know that the Pope has many names. He likes to be called Holy Father. He likes to be called Vicarius Felia Dei, which comes to 666, like faithful uh, servant of God. He likes to be called uh, the Apostle of the Lord. And of course, the Antichrist, if you look at him uh, from the standpoint of the papacy, offers himself as a substitute for Christ. He stands in the place of Christ. He sees himself as another Christ, which of course is blasphemy. In fact, this past Christmas, someone sent me a clip of the Pope at Midnight Mass, kissing this statue of the baby Jesus around the groin area. Now, if you were to do that, or if I was to do that, we would be probably arrested and put before a court. They would say that you have unhealthy interests in children, which of course would be true. And yet when the Pope does that, people think it's okay. And Catholics close their eye to it. Well, of course, Catholics are in denial. Catholics will turn a, a blind eye to it because they are in denial, much like Muslims are in denial concerning their so-called prophet. This is the tragedy when it comes to people in organized religion. They refuse to see what is going on all around them. They are very much blind. Of course, we know they have been blinded by the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, being the devil. So it grieves me. It grieves me to see millions of Catholics all over the world going to their church on a regular basis, having no interest in the Word of God, and are in reality taking the spiritual mark of the beast. And I will come back to that in a moment. But what caught my attention when I started to study Revelation back in August of last year was the depth of this amazing book. And not just the depth, but the characters in the Word of God. You've got the Antichrist, a very dominant force, but you've got the false prophet as well. And the false prophet seems to be overlooked, I think anyway, by a lot of our dispensational brethren. Now, if you were to sit down with a Calvinist over a cup of coffee, something which I would like to very much have now, <laughs> and ask that Calvinist to explain uh, why or who the Antichrist is, they will say, well, of course, the papacy is the Antichrist. That goes back to the 12th century. And it's true to say that for over the last several hundred years, Calvinists have seen the Pope as the Antichrist. And yet, it's not as simple as that, because if the Pope is the Antichrist, who's the false prophet? I mean, right now, 2017. If the Pope is the Antichrist, if the Pope is this beast that has come up out of the sea, which incidentally doesn't take place until probably 
Acts, excuse me, uh, what am I saying, Acts? Uh, Revelation chapter 11. The church is raptured, Revelation 4, Revelation 11. The Antichrist kills the two witnesses. So, if the Antichrist is the papacy, or if the papacy is the Antichrist, who is the false prophet? I'm slightly getting ahead of myself. Look at verse 11, please. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. That's the Antichrist. Excuse me, that's a false prophet. You've got 13.1, 13.2, 13.3, speaking about the Antichrist. But verse 11 is speaking about the false prophets. And it came to me a few weeks ago that the best way for me to understand about the Antichrist and the false prophet is to look at the false prophet as a type of John the Baptist, but in reverse. And the Antichrist as Christ in reverse. Jesus and John were both Jews. Jesus and John came to the earth around the same time. Jesus and John worked together and witnessed to Israel. Some believed, some did not believe. The Antichrist and the false prophets are both going to be Jews sent to Israel, but not to help Israel, not to help the world, but to deceive the world, to damn the world. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Now the Antichrist comes from the sea, picturing Leviathan, picturing this supernatural creature. And as far as I know, the popes are not supernatural creatures. They are men, they lived like men and died like men. But here, this beast comes from the earth, suggesting that he is human. But he's pictured as having two horns like a lamb, counterfeits, and he spake as a dragon. So he's a cross between the Messiah, the Lamb of God, and a dragon, Satan. And he works hand in hand with the Antichrist to deceive many people. So the question gets asked by people such as myself, and I'll put it on camera again today, if the papacy is the Antichrist, who is the false prophet today? That's the first question. The second question, what is the mark of the beast today? 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So if the papacy is the Antichrist, where is the mark of the beast today? If the papacy is the Antichrist, who is the false prophet today? If the papacy is the Antichrist, how is the mark of the beast being used today? As far as I know, we have access to cash still. We can still spend cash. And yet this piece of scripture makes it very clear that you can't buy or sell unless you have a mark in your right hand. Where's that today? Or mark in your forehead. Where is that today? Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding cut the number of the beast. For it is a number of a man. And his number is six hundred three score and six. Six, six, six. So, I will repeat myself again. Because what 
I think is going on here is not just a denial of futurism, it's not just a denial of the rapture, referred to as the blessed hope, but it's also a denial of Israel being grafted back in, Israel having a second chance with the Lord, because most people that hold to the papacy, being the Antichrist, are not only Calvinists, but they are reformed. They believe that the church has replaced Israel, something which I very much am against. On top of that, this also gets overlooked. Look at verse uh, 13, an interesting number, 13, Friday the 13th. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Where's the image of the beast today? And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. According to this, the Antichrist will come after the rapture of the church. He will work hand in hand with the false prophet. They will create some kind of an image to the beast. This image will come to life, will speak, will be able to communicate with people in a way that I don't quite understand. And if you don't worship the image of the beast, the image of the Antichrist, you will be put to death. Now, again, and I address this to our Calvinist friends, to those that are reformed, to those that think that futurism is some kind of a Jesuit ploy. If the Antichrist is a papacy, or if the papacy is the Antichrist, how is the mark of the beast working today? Where is the mark of the beast working today? Who around the world today has 666 either on their forehead or in their right hand? Who is the false prophet today? And where is the image of the mark of the beast today? Where is this idol of the mark of the beast? Or, let me just correct myself, where is the statue that is going to be created as some kind of a homage to the Antichrist? You've got this unholy trinity. You've got two beasts and an image. So if the papacy is the Antichrist, please tell me where this statue, which comes to life, is currently at. I'd like to know. It's clear to me that these verses have not yet taken place, that this account from chapter 13 is still very much in the future. But because people don't want to believe that the worst is yet to come, they bury their heads in the sand and they hold to what's called the pre-trist view, or the historical view, which the Seventh-day Adventists are very much uh, opponents of. And that's why it's somewhat disappointing when you come across people online who, on the one hand, are very good at speaking against the papacy and other heresies, and yet are blinded to the truths that Revelation is still very much a future book, and they teach Revelation from a historical perspective. Pope's the Antichrist? Well, who's the false prophet then? 
just because Calvinists from the 12th century up until probably the 19th century held to the belief that the papacy was the Antichrist doesn't mean they were right. Now, I will say this, that the, Pope, that the papacy is a type of the Antichrist. Absolutely. But if you are faithful to Scripture, if you read it clearly and carefully, you will see that this beast which comes up out of the sea is a supernatural beast, a supernatural creature. All of the popes going back till to back to uh, probably Constantine have been ordinary people, just everyday men. They lived like men and they died like men. But the false prophet, when he arrives, will work hand in hand with the Antichrist. At the moment, the papacy doesn't need anyone to help him out. The current pope and previous popes, and maybe popes to come, are quite capable of working on their own. They don't need anybody to hold their hand to help them out. On top of that, people are still using cash around the world to buy and sell. People are not taking any mark of the beast. People are quite free to do their own thing. And on top of that, you haven't got the image set up. So I think if people are honest with themselves, if people take the time to explore the scripture with an open mind and not to uh, become indoctrinated, not to uh, be a part of tradition, which goes back to what I've been saying all along, that unfortunately people are spiritually blinded, people have taken a spiritual uh, mark of the beast and as a result have missed out on a great blessing. But here, 13, and he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. When did this happen? And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. When did this happen? Please tell me. Saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, image to the Antichrist, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Which pope over the past 16 centuries has been killed by a sword and come back to life? 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. This image, this statue, is going to be brought, uh, brought to life, made alive. This statue will come to life. Show me where this has happened or when this has happened. Send me some pictures. Send me a video, please. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as do not worship the image of the beast should be killed. It hasn't happened yet. So, I will say this and start to conclude this message before I freeze to death, that the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the image of the beast are still to appear on the earth. The worst is yet to come. If you find yourself in the tribulation, don't take the mark of the beast under any circumstances. Get under the blood of Christ, trust him as your saviour, and dig deep into the word of God, because the deception is going to be enormous. And that's why the word of God says over in uh, Matthew 24, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Not concerning your salvation, concerning deception. 
He that endureth, he that overcometh unto the end of the tribulation will be saved from deception. The deception is going to be enormous. It's bad enough at the moment, but you wait until the rapture has occurred and we are removed from the earth. And for months, if not years, there'll be no safe people on the earth. There'll be no videos such as this being produced. There'll be no more EDC radio, no more live Sunday services. There'll be no people going around, putting out tracks, witnessing to people. It's going to be very dark. But that's what the world wants. The world wants to be left to their own devices. Men love darkness rather than light because the deeds are evil. They won't come to light unless they are approved. Mankind is referred to as a worker of iniquity, a God-hater, a truce-breaker, very much trying to do his own thing. So this will be called the worst is yet to come, and the worst is very much yet to come if you're not saved. But if you are saved, the best is yet to come. And like I say, time for unsaved people, once they die, just becomes an ongoing agony. There are no amnesties in hell. And when I look at celebrities, when I think of these VIPs which are worshipped all over the world, I've got no time for any of them. In fact, it came to me a while ago that if you were to add up all of their wealth, those men and those women, and I gave you a handful of those that died over the Christmas period, could probably alleviate a good part of third world debt. And yet those hypocrites wouldn't give you a penny of their own money. In fact, I can remember some years ago seeing George Clooney and Brad Pitt and Tom Hanks and some other a list of celebrities trying to raise money for an event. I think it was Haiti around 2010 and they were on the phones ringing around trying to raise money for that earthquake and I thought if you guys all sat down and got your checkbooks out you could probably raise 15 million dollars just like that but of course what they won't do is spend their own money now sometimes they do but by and large they want you to spend your money and they do so to on the one hand, put themselves in a good light, and on the other hand, to keep their picture in the press. And that's why it is pointless uh, worshipping celebrities, whether secular or religious. So I think for New Year's Day, you've had uh, a crash course in the book of Revelation. Also, I want to say that I'm going to try something new uh, this month, which I've never done before, I'm going to try, Lord willing, to read the entire Bible in a month. And it can be done if you read 44 pages a day. Now, I've got several Bibles. This is my open-air pulpit Bible. But I've got another Bible at home, which is too heavy to bring to the open-air pulpit, which I use every Sunday morning to... Uh, read from and, and to record and my bible is around 1300 pages so if you i think it's 1395 to be precise divide that by 31 days it gives you around 44 pages so if you read 44 pages a day if you can 
for 31 days, you will read the entire Bible in a month. And I worked out that for me, that will be the equivalent of reading the Gospel of Matthew in one sitting, which I can do in around 90 minutes. So join me, join me if you can. Join me as of today, the 1st of January 2017, Genesis chapter 1, and read 44 pages a day if you can. And I hope as I go through January that uh, I'm able to renew my mind and uh, rediscover things and uh, discover things that I haven't yet discovered. And I think if I can make it, and it's going to be quite a tall order to find the time to do it, but if I can make it and complete the entire Bible in 31 days, I know that I will be greatly blessed. And I know you will as well, if you can uh, study along with me. Just read along, not necessarily study, but just read along. And 44 pages a day will see the Word of God read in a month. And if you're really uh, super duper, if you're really uh, able to uh, make the time available, you can read the Bible twice in one month. If you read, I think it's 87 pages. That's going to be quite a tall order. I'm not sure I could read 88, 87, 88 pages a day, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try and aim for 44, 44, 44, 45 pages a day, every day, starting from today. And uh, hopefully, Lord willing, by the time I get to the end of January, I will have been able to have read the entire Bible in a month. So think about it might be something that you want to try and do. And uh, if you do decide to try and do this, let me know and I will pray for you and uh, encourage you along the way. So there you are. I will leave you on that thought and just jump out of camera shot and allow you to see this very beautiful backdrop. The uh, mist is still coming up. And like I say, it's very cold. I would say with the uh, wind chill and due to the height that I'm currently recording from, it's probably minus one, minus one degrees Celsius. And I will just try and zoom into the fog and leave you with that to look at on this very cold, crisp January morning from 2017. And I wish you every blessing, every happiness, every joy. And like I said at the beginning of this message, put all of your failures, all of your setbacks, all of your disappointments, uh, leave them all behind in the year that's just gone by and allow this year, 2017, to be a great year for you all. 
may the Lord bless you all and Maranatha.